The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. Your host is Ellen Etoff, the soulful sex coach. Our program will take you beyond the sex you've been experiencing and open up a whole new world of intimacy. You've got a lot to learn today, so let's get started. Here is Ellen Etoff. Are you ready for an ecstatic love life? I am. Now, this is going to be a very special show with someone I'm very excited to have as my guest, Dr. Jala Jabonheim. The word ecstatic, as in ecstatica, the word ecstatic is intimately connected to our topic for today's show. And one of the three critical realms of life that I'd like to bring together today, and those are ecstasy, intimacy, and peace. I want to explore how we can bring both ecstasy and peace into our lives and intimate relationships, including our sex lives, and in this way make some small contribution to the healing of ourselves, our community, and all of humanity. Now, I know that's a tall order, but I believe Dr. Jala Jabonheim is up to the task. She's really an extraordinary woman who spent her life integrating ecstasy, intimacy, and peace, and offering her wisdom through her books, articles, lectures, and her circle work workshops all over the world. I consider Jala, I consider Jala Jala one of the really one of the wisest, most embodied spiritual leaders on the planet. She's been an inspiration to me since I first read one of her earlier wonderful books called Aphrodite's Daughters. This was based on the sexual stories of ordinary American women, and it shows the immensely important role sexuality plays in shaping our spiritual journey. She has several terrific books, and I think the next one was The Hunger for Ecstasy, Fulfilling the Soul's Need for Passion and Intimacy, which of course was a big one for me. And in fact, before that book was published, um, she wrote an article by that title, and she very generously gave me permission to post that article, The Hunger for Ecstasy, on my uh, initial Ecstatica website, which I left on the front page for years because I just felt it was so perfectly um, interfacing with what I do. Now, in her earlier years, Jalaja learned Indian temple dance in South India, and there she connected with an ancient lineage of priestesses who modeled the integration of spirituality and sexuality. And I know that this has provided sort of a foundation and a thread through all of her work. Uh, she later offered workshops on movement as a spiritual practice, co-creating a sanctuary of space where women would slow down and listen deeply to their hearts and bodies. Eventually, this evolved into her method called circle work and international circle work leadership training. Jala Jabonai, PhD, is now the founder and director of the Institute for Circle Work and one of the foremost experts in the use of circle gathering for healing, peacemaking, and women's empowerment. She's gained an international reputation for her groundbreaking work with Jewish and Palestinian women in the Middle East. 
She's the author of five books, and her latest is Evolving Toward Peace, Awakening the Global Heart. It's being heralded as exciting, compelling, and groundbreaking. And just to give you an idea of how highly she's revered by global thought leaders, she was interviewed by Dr. Uh, not, not, yeah, by Dr. Deepak Chopra rather than the other way around. So welcome, Dr. Jala Jabonaim. Thank you so much. What a great introduction. Well, it comes from the heart. <laughs> so let's start by um, exploring these terms, ecstasy, intimacy, and peace. And back to um, Deepak Chopra and describing one of your books, he says, In a world that is starving for ecstasy, the hunger for ecstasy offers powerful healing medicine, a passionate and wise invitation to open our lives and our souls to ecstasy, recognizing it for what it really is the experience of our own divinity. And I just love that because I know that's what your book is really about. So Mm -hmm. for our listeners, could you define ecstasy and why we hunger for it? Well, you know, I think that we have to understand that ecstasy is not something, we sometimes think of it as something exceptional and abnormal. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to understand that it is so integral to who we are. It's something children experience, animals experience. It's absolutely natural. And so when we do not experience ecstasy, we are not healthy. We cannot be healthy without ecstasy. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to reclaim it as something that belongs to all of us. It is not just this sort of exceptional thing that very rare, special people get to experience. It's essential for all of us. And I think in this culture, we don't acknowledge that. And so we get a lot of addictions where people, you know, oh, something's missing. I'm not sure what it is. Let me go shopping or let me have a drink. Um, Because we don't even know exactly what it is that is missing, but it is that ecstasy. And to me, ecstasy, it it feels wonderful, and it is sourced in spirit. So it is that experience of direct communion with the source. Um, Mm. you You don't need to talk about religion or anything like that. Um, but there is just a tremendous joy that comes from that experience of being connected with the universe, being connected with nature. And I believe we all need that very much. Yeah, we need it on a regular basis. <laughs> we do. So we do. how would you distinguish ecstasy from what people normally think of as happiness? Well, happiness, I mean, happiness is a wonderful thing, and we all need that, too, but it is more on the emotional level, um, the way I understand it. Ecstasy, you know, the very word means to step out of. Mm. So in that state of ecstasy, it's like you're stepping out of your ego self. You're stepping Mm. into the realm of the divine, in a sense. So, whereas happiness is something that you can experience in a very um, mundane way, which is a beautiful thing, but ecstasy really takes us out of the mundane. It connects us with something that is truly outside of our ordinary ego realm. 
And that's why it's so healing and so necessary. And, you know, when you read about the, uh, the rituals of indigenous peoples, it's so clear that they understood that people need ecstasy. And as you say, they need it on a regular basis. So these rituals would provide opportunities for people to step out of their everyday selves and connect with something greater. And they would do this through dance and chanting and so forth? Yeah, many different tools, dance, chanting, plant medicines, all kinds of things. But the understanding was that this was something that was essential to the health of the community. And that if the community did not have this, the community could not be healthy. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the hunger for ecstasy or anything else, um, that makes me think of desire. So how do you see the role of desire relative to ecstasy or a spiritual path? Well, desire, you know, desire has been kind of maligned, especially in spiritual circles as this negative thing. But as I see it, desire is this sacred force. And it pulls us. It's letting us know that there is something here that is important to us, something we need and want. So it's almost like the the desire is this magnetic force that is drawing us towards ecstasy. It's letting us know, here, go in that direction. Now, of course, you know, I speak of a hierarchy of desires because, you know, maybe you you want a Mercedes-Benz, you know, that's one level of desire. Um, but if or you another really, drink if you're an alcoholic. Yeah, another yeah. drink, yeah, yeah. So these are all substitutes, but when you really go to the root of it, what do I really want? And I see this in my circles over and over again, that when people really sit with that question, what do I really want? There is passion, there is intimacy, there is ecstasy. That is what we all really want. Mm, yeah. So, and I, I've seen it written that you say that um, healing our relationship to desire is a key to the survival of our species and the healing of our planet. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes. You know, it's interesting because I just wrote this new book about peace and some people said to me, well, why are you, you know, why have you shifted from writing about sexuality and spirituality and ecstasy to writing about peace? And I say, I don't feel like I have shifted at all. I feel like this is a, a different facet of the same issue. And personally, I feel that the dysfunction between men and women and our, our warped relationship to sexuality and desire really lies at the root of the global dysfunction. And it's very clear when you look at cultures that are very violent and have a lot of warfare, these are, without exception, cultures where the feminine is denigrated and where relationships between men and women are oppressive and not healthy. So to my mind, it is this this healing of our relationships and the healing of our own relationship to our own sexuality is a really important contribution to peace. They are, they are really inseparable as I see it. 
Touche, touche. I certainly agree with that. So, and then, so there's the healing of the sexuality. So let's kind of bring this, because you make a connection between ecstasy and peace, but let's dive a little deeper. So healing our relationship to our own sexuality, you say, is intimately related to peace. How do you see it as related to a spiritual path and kind of pulling all of those together? Well, sexuality is one of the most potent ways in which we connect to nature. It's a basic, essential force of nature that runs through us. And we have become very disconnected from nature, and I think the Western tradition especially has taught us to not really trust nature. So as we begin to heal our own relationship to sexuality, we also begin to make peace with nature. So instead of viewing the natural world as something to be conquered and controlled and exploited, we begin to develop this sense of reverence for this incredible mystery that we experience in our own bodies, in our relationship, and all around us. So I feel that as we begin to heal our own sexuality, both with ourselves and with our partners, we really are making a contribution so that our species, which has so fallen out of alignment with the natural world, can come back into alignment and really honor those forces as the sacred, essential forces that they are in our lives. Mm-hmm. And this also brings in the whole feminine archetype. You mentioned, you know, our human, pro- our, our Western culture proclivity toward um, conquering nature, but this is really bringing in the feminine or yin approach. And you talk about the, the priestess archetype, bringing in the feminine approach to healing. Of course, sexuality is primarily our feminine side, that, that deeper um, connection. And you want to speak to that feminine priestess a little? I'd love to. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, really. Um, you know, for me, it was when I went to India, I, didn't, I really didn't know anything about this tradition of temple priestesses. And in India, it has become very covered up. So I really had to dig down to begin to understand who were these women, who were these temple priestesses. And I learned that they were sexual priestesses and that in their sexuality, they were thought to be embodiments of the goddess. Mm. And so it was a tremendous honor to make love to a temple priestess because in that, you were reenacting the beginning of creation. So you were reenacting that union of feminine and masculine out of which they believed the entire cosmos came. Um, and when I came to this country, I began to wonder, you know, what, what happened to that for us? And that's where I started interviewing women and asking them, have you experienced that priestess side of yourself? And if so, where and when? And I began to realize that we do experience it. 
We don't really have any cultural context for honoring it. But in my circles, I hear so many stories from women about these experiences that they've had in which they really did step into the role of the sexual priestess. And, and this they, is sort of like the stories that you also conveyed in your book, Aphrodite's Daughters, right? Yes, some of them are definitely those stories, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to more of this, but um, it's time for us to take a short break. And before we do, I'd like to mention a couple of things. I have a gift for my listeners. It's my hour-long audio and ebook called Beyond Orgasm, How to Have a More Deeply Connected Sexual Experience. And you can find it at ecstatica.com on the homepage. That's E-X like exciting, T as in Tom, A-T-I-C-A.com. Or you can take the easy route and uh, type in beyondorgasm.com to get to the same place. And the replays of this show and all the Ecstatica radio shows are available streaming online or as MP3 downloads to take with you. And those are also at ecstatica.com slash show, S-H-O-W. And the downloadable transcripts of the shows are also available there at ecstatica.com slash show. This is Ellen Etoff with Dr. Jala Jabonine. Stay tuned for more on bringing ecstasy, intimacy, and peace into your love life. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus Drug Discount Card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362. It's being called the easiest way to have mind-blowing sex. Why? Because it turns average sex into incredible sex without you doing anything different. And today, you can see it for yourself in a free report. Learn how easy it is to stimulate greater sexual passion, enhance libido, and easier multiple orgasms for women. Experience new levels of intimacy as old sexual inhibitions melt away. And it all happens when you simply play a special type of music while you make love. How is it possible that nothing more than just playing music can give you such incredible sexual encounters? Because this music is enhanced with a special technology called auditory pheromones. Learn how scientifically proven auditory pheromones unleash a wave of sexual passion, intimacy, and pleasure, and free the body to experience maximum arousal and stimulation. Get your free auditory pheromones report today at musicforbettersex.com. That's musicforbettersex.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio.
This is Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. Do you have questions or comments for Ellen Etoff or her guests? Call in live at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to radio show at ecstatica.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Ellen Etoff on Ecstatica with Dr. Jala Jabonheim, author of The Hunger for Ecstasy and Evolving Toward Peace, Awakening the Global Heart. And before we get back to the subject of bringing ecstasy, intimacy, and peace into your love life, I want to mention something that you may have heard during the break. Um, that's my Love Unbound Music for Lovemaking infused with auditory pheromones. You may be interested to know that customers who play this music in the background while making love consistently report enhanced libido and arousal rates, deeper intimacy, easier orgasms and often multiple orgasms for women for the first time, release of cultural or religious inhibitions for greater spontaneity, which is great because this is some of the stuff we're getting into with uh, Jalaja about the, you know, the, the history and the inhibitions. Um, people also experience easier communication about sexual needs and desires and a sense of spiritual union is frequently reported. So to learn more about that, just go to getabettersexlife.com. Okay, so during the break, Jalaja and I were speaking about how we want to address the question of how do we bring men into this whole realm, you know, because it's so easy for women to get into this. Well, it's not easy, but a lot of women kind of take the leap into the the realm of the sexual priestess. And um, we want to be sure that we bring men along <laughs> the way. So what would you like to say about that, Jalaja? Well, you know, before we were talking about the feminine, and I always emphasize, and when we speak about the feminine, we're speaking about the way our culture defines it. Mm. So we have this association of the feminine with softness, with receptivity, all these different associations. And because we're the children of an essentially patriarchal culture, men learn that they are not supposed to be that way. Everything we've associated with the feminine is unmanly. Um, And, you know, of course, I see that a lot when I go to the Middle East, but I also see it in men here. So I think it's very important for men to understand that these qualities of softness, of yielding, of sensitivity, they are actually not feminine at all. They are human. And men have suffered so much by being shamed for exhibiting those qualities and being told from a young age, you're not supposed to do that, you're a boy, you're a man. And when you look at the tantric traditions, you see that the role models of men there are very different from our ideals of what is manly and what is strong. And for our and listeners, can you describe that, what those role models looked like in those times? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, when you go to India and you see the statues of the gods, very sensual, but they are also very tender, uh, almost like curvy. They have a lot of qualities that we associate with the feminine. And so 
I, I feel, you know, in my new book, I speak about heart shame. Because just as we have associated, um, you know, we call the earth feminine and the sun masculine, all these things, we also have learned that the mind is masculine and the heart is feminine. So men are not supposed to be so heart-centered. They are not supposed to be so tender-hearted. And so a tremendous amount of shame has been heaped on all of us, but I think more on men. And so I think anything we can do to support men in shedding that heart shame, um, which often, you know, holds them back from really expressing their love, their feelings, their emotions, um, is a really important step towards healing and to help them understand when we speak of the feminine that can easily be misunderstood you know as something that doesn't concern men because it's feminine no it does it's actually human i'm glad you brought this up because first of all there's you know we have a lot of heritage a lot from the greeks and so forth about the division of this masculine and feminine the way you described but you know the word heart also, it's the root word for courage is cooler, yes. which is, you know, means heart. And that's, you know, we think of courage often as like something that a warrior has in battle. So it's, that's, that can be a very masculine trait. It's a very human trait also. It, it crosses um, gender, you know, distinctions. But so it, you're right. It's very sad to hear that the idea of heart is, um, has shame around it for men. And when you um, listen to the media, especially sort of the mainstream media, you hear a lot of cynicism, a lot of putting down of the heart. And once you sort of get attuned to it, you recognize it for what it is. You realize that this is heart shame in action. This is people who feel ashamed of their own heartfulness, sensitivity, trying to impose that same shame on others. And so... I think it is very important that men find support both among other men and from women. And it does, by the way, it really does take courage to bear our hearts. It takes perhaps more courage than going into battle. Oh, um, absolutely. Because that's so, when we're really the most vulnerable. Yeah. Is bearing yeah. our hearts. So I think if we can support men and children, boys, and really teach them that this is a beautiful thing, that this is a gift, and that this is really essential for a good relationship. Yes, because my view, my experience in talking to so many women, and I imagine yours too, is that women want a man who has masculine uh, qualities and strengths, but that also has the capacity for intimacy and deep communication and tenderness and awareness of others' needs and that whole heart um, connection. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and so also, important. you know, I talked before about how ecstasy is the stepping out of our ego. So in ecstasy, a lot of times there is this sense of, oh, I'm losing control. And, of course, men mm-hmm. have been taught that's the worst thing. You're never supposed to lose control. And yet, if you want to go into ecstatic sexuality, you have to be willing to let go of control. Very true. And then, speaking of shame and ecstasy, you talk about, um, well, 
of course, there's so much shame in the realm of sexuality, but you describe shame as the arch enemy of ecstasy. Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, that that whole story in the Bible with the fig leaf and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I Like, for years I puzzled over, what's going on here? They eat this apple and then suddenly they're covering their genitals with fig leaf. How is this connected? And then finally I understood. Something about because, the shape of that serpent, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that serpent is the serpentine life force that runs through our body. Yeah, and it's root energy, in, right? Yeah, and its root in our body is in the sexual center. That's right. And so here are Adam and Eve, and they have listened to the serpent rather than to this new patriarchal father god who says the serpent is evil. And so, wow, I never put this together. Thank you. This is great. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so, so that is why I call it the birth of shame. They've, this is where they take in this message that this serpentine life force that lives in their genitals is somehow evil and shameful. Mm. And, uh, it has caused us so much damage, so much harm. And I think we're just beginning to unravel that and free ourselves, liberate ourselves from that. Oh, thank you for putting those pieces of that story together for me. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems obvious, but it wasn't until you said it that way. I mean, the Bible does, I think, talks about shame and so forth, but um, that's so clear now. So, um, you know, let's talk about Peace. So I have a number of questions, but first, how how would you define peace, especially as it relates to intimate relationships? Mm, That's a big question. Um, What I would first say is it's not the absence of conflict. People sometimes Mm. think it means it does not mean the absence of conflict. Um, To me, when we are living in peace, there is the sense of belonging to a larger whole, whether that larger whole is our relationship or our community or our planet, and that we are trying to live in a way that benefits the entire community, the greater community, as opposed to only ourselves. So... You see it a lot when countries become isolated and it's all just about this country is the best and the greatest and it's going to wage war on all the others, as opposed to really looking at the planet as we are more and more as a great planetary community. And so then we can ask ourselves what action would benefit the greater community. And of course, it's, you know, you can take it right down to your relationships, that, that thinking that I think successful couples do. How, how are my actions going to affect my partner? How are they going to refle- affect my relationship? And so that leads to peace, that awareness that we are part of something larger and we are looking out for the happiness and well-being of that larger entity, not just ourselves. And then, of course, you know, as Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. So that's a critical place to start. So what connection do you make between ecstasy and peace? And I want to kind of bring this around then. 
maybe I can talk a little bit about what I see in the women's circles that I lead. Yes. Um, because ecstasy to me is, it can be something solitary, but certainly in the path of the priestess, it was something that was cultivated in relationship and in community, not on your own. So hmm. this is a big piece of what we do in the circle. There is this love energy that we create in our circles that gets stronger and stronger until we really do feel this ecstasy rising through us. Mm, and it is, it is interesting that when we go into that place, from that place, we are able not just we, first of all, we fall in love with each other, and I see this happening, you know, with the Jewish and the Arab women, but also just in this country with women who are, come in as total strangers, and a day later they are in love with each other. Wow. So it is from that place, I believe, that we are able to work through our conflicts and to find solutions to all our problems. And personally, I believe that's the case, not just in per, on the personal level, but also on the larger level. You know, all the problems that we face in the world today, I believe that if we could connect on that heart level, in that place where we move into joy, into love, into ecstasy, from that place, we can see that there are solutions and from that place also, we have the willingness to compromise, to let go of certain things, to make sacrifices, to make those solutions work. And I have seen this over and over again. And, you know, it's so sad in our culture, we consider love and ecstasy, we consider them sort of I almost want to say utopian yes. um, or something that's nice in your personal private realm, but not really important on a more, in a more public way. And I feel the absolute opposite is true, that until we come together in this love space, we're stuck. You know, we cannot resolve our problems. And it's true whether you're talking about a couple or a community or the planet. Mm. So do you ever bring men into your circles? I do sometimes do circles that are for men and women. And more and more men are asking for it. I would um, think so. Would yeah, think even so. in yeah. Israel, you know, the men, the women are coming home and they're just glowing. And the guys are saying, huh, I want some of that. I want what she's um, got. Yeah. Yeah, I want what she's got. So, um, she you know, I think 20 years ago when I started leading circles, it was a little early um, and sometimes I did circles with men, and there'd be 20 women and two men. But now I think it's shifted, and more and more men are really wanting this and open to it, and it's beautiful. Wow, that's great. Um, so we're going to take our last short break, and when we come back, I want to get into the subject of addiction, because you've talked about how addiction is one of the most common symptoms of ecstasy deprivation, and um, I think it gets in the way of peace oftentimes, too. So um, 
This is Ellen Etoff with On Ecstatica with Dr. Jala Jabonheim. And just to remind you, you can get replays of this program and all Ecstatica radio show episodes, both streaming online or downloads, plus the transcripts of the shows at ecstatica.com slash show. That's E-X as an exciting T-A-T-I-C-A dot com slash show, S-H-O-W. We'll be right back. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. It's being called the easiest way to have mind-blowing sex. Why? Because it turns average sex into incredible sex without you doing anything different. And today, you can see it for yourself in a free report. Learn how easy it is to stimulate greater sexual passion, enhance libido, and easier multiple orgasms for women. Experience new levels of intimacy as old sexual inhibitions melt away. And it all happens when you simply play a special type of music while you make love. How is it possible that nothing more than just playing music can give you such incredible sexual encounters? Because this music is enhanced with a special technology called auditory pheromones. Learn how scientifically proven auditory pheromones unleash a wave of sexual passion, intimacy, and pleasure. And free the body to experience maximum arousal and stimulation. Get your free auditory pheromones report today at musicforbettersex.com. That's musicforbettersex.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life. Do you have questions or comments for Ellen Etoff or her guests? Call in live at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to radio show at ecstatica.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Ellen Etoff on Ecstatica with Dr. Jala Jabonine. We're exploring how to bring more ecstasy, intimacy, and peace into your love life. And by the way, and we'll get to this at the end, but I want to tell you right now that Jalaja's website is jalajabonheim.com, and that's J-A-L-A-J-A-B as in boy, O-N as in Nancy, H-E-I-M as in Mary.com. And we'll post that on the Ecstatica website show page so you can also and Ellen, I'd also add they can also get to the same place just by putting in evolving toward peace.com that's easier to spell evolving toward peace.com and then toward we'll revisit peace. this yep. mm-hmm. at the end of the show okay great. Yeah, great so um I know that you've said that addiction is one of the most common symptoms of 
ecstasy deprivation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, it's easy to think of as um, of addictions as things like alcohol, you mentioned shopping or, um, you know, overeating, those kinds of things. But I think a lot of people are addicted to drama and the adrenaline mm. that is produced when they engage in drama or conflict. Um, you know, just the highs and lows, you know, with the extremes, both the extreme joy and then the extreme um, negativity oftentimes. So how do we deal with that? And in our relationships, how do we sort of step out of that mode? And yeah, that's it. Say that's it's true, really... ecstasy deprivation. So how do you connect that with ecstasy deprivation? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, for me, I grew up in, in Germany, and I of, often think about war, too, as a form of addiction, because war takes men, women too, but primarily men, to these uh, situations that, I don't know if you can call them ecstatic, but they are in a sense, because there is this confrontation with death. And this absolute stepping out of your normal self. Yes, and, and many, uh, I, many military people coming back say that that's when they felt most alive, is being yes. on the front line, when it was really right. life or death. Right, right. And so drama, of course, is a version of the same thing. Yes. And, you know, I think that we won't, we won't shift that until we become conscious of the fact that we're not really satisfied. It's not really giving us what we want. It's like we repeat the cycle over and over, and at some point we sit down and go, oh, I'm not really getting what I want here. Before then, we're not really willing to face the addiction, just like an alcoholic isn't willing to face the addiction initially. And, um, you know, I think that one of the benefits of being part of a circle, being part of a community of any kind that values ecstasy and that looks for inroads to ecstasy is that more and more we don't need those alternatives. We realize that there are other ways. But until we have those other ways, people, in a sense, are stuck. They are starving, and they don't even know that they are starving. And so, of course, they, they, they reach for drama. They reach for whatever kind of addiction they are drawn to. And, of course, I, I believe that there are, you know, in my new book, I write about these two kinds of addictions that I think affect us all. One of them is Thought addiction. You know, we mm-hmm. are all addicted to thinking. And yeah, we think well, self-included, so you want to speak time. to that a little more. <laughs> yeah, and in a sense, there is that inner drama that is constantly being recreated through our thought process. And so to find that place of inner peace, which really is the access road to ecstasy, um, is very, very important. And you mean and the through other, meditation, yeah. for example? It could be meditation. For me, it's the circle. It takes me there so fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. So fast. Um, it is so easy in that space, in that mandala of the circle, to settle down, to find that place of inner peace and inner centeredness. 
Um, but there are, of course, you know, many ways. And then that second addiction, I think I touched on it before, is the addiction to control. And mm-hmm. we're all raised to believe that that's the mark of success, is to be in control. And that, too, is an addiction. But it's an addiction that our society rewards us for and fosters. So when we begin to come to this place where there is the possibility of going into ecstasy, a lot of times you'll notice that something happens. Either we start thinking like crazy or we reach for whatever activity helps us stay in control as a way of defending against ecstasy because it scares us. You know, yeah, so I think that's one of the great fears is being out of control. Being out of control and so... As if we really had control, which is yeah, ultimately right. a joke. <laughs> but we yeah, have this false sense of control that we try it's to maintain. Yeah, yeah. But there again, I think we need community to really support us and to say to us, it's okay, go there. And to acknowledge we all share the same addictions, the same fears. It's not like this is my problem. It's our problem. We've all been programmed to avoid ecstasy. And we've all been taught these various ways of doing it. So it's not really a personal issue. It's a collective issue. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, if you can open to love, if you can open to ecstasy, understand that you are giving others permission to do the same. You are helping others do the same. So true. So true. Yeah, we forget that our, yeah, by being vulnerable and opening to this as you say, ecstasy, willingness to be out of control, we are giving others sort of permission. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to kind of, something that's been on my mind, I'm not quite sure how this fits into what you're saying, but um, back to, you know, a kind of a one-on-one relationship, although this has, you know, global implications, but violence in a relationship can go beyond physical violence and even emotional abuse because I think violence can include the guilt and shame and blame we inflict on the ones we love in an attempt to get what we want or to, again, feel in control. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of a microcosm of what happens on a global scale. So do you have anything to say about how to help people step out of that that tendency, I mean, it does seem to come out of an attempt to control. Yeah. And the shame, no, you said, is like the, you know, the, the NF, it, it keeps us from experiencing ecstasy. How do we pull all this together? Yeah. Well, there, you know, I, there's no cookie cutter model. It is because I, I, I work with a lot of couples and it's different for each couple. But I really, you know, I talk in my book about what I call relational education. And relational education is the education that teaches us how to have fulfilling relationships. And to my mind, this is something every child should learn in school. It's more important than trigonometry or anything else they learn. You know, if there's one thing we should teach children in school, it's like how to resolve conflicts, how to communicate without blame, without judgment. 
because these things are not easy. And if we grow up with these patterns, most of the people can't step out of them without any help. And it is not easy, you know. So I, I think that we have a huge job of relational education. And the first step, obviously, is to recognize how important it is. Mm-hmm. And it's teachable and it's learnable. And couples who are stuck in these old patterns can transform them. But usually they do need some help in doing that. They need some relational education. Right, because it's not part of our history, really. No, and if we didn't have parents who knew how to do it, where, you know, where, where would we have learned it? Certainly not on television. No. <laughs> Certainly or not. Or on YouTube. No. Um, mm-hmm. So as part of that education um, or a practice, you emphasize the need for discipline on the path of ecstasy. So why is – and discipline – I presume is also needed on the path to peace. So why is this important? And I'm, I like an analogy that, I, that you give about the potter spinning a vessel. Yeah. And I would say that by discipline, you know, sometimes we have this negative connotation with rigid, that it's something rigid. Right. But what I mean by discipline is that discipline is the way that we learn something. So if I want to learn to play the piano, then the discipline is the doing it over and over. And so as far as I'm concerned, learning to love is a tremendous discipline. We naturally, when everything is going the right way, it is easy to open our hearts. It's easy to love. But the discipline comes in when it's not so easy, when we somehow get triggered by something. And so this is where this commitment to say, I am on this path of love. I am on this path of ecstasy. And how do I stay on this path when things get difficult? That's where the discipline comes in. And that, I think, is something that we can only do in community. Mm-hmm. And can you just tie it in with that analogy of the potter's wheel? Because I, I just think that's a yeah. good visual example. Yeah, that's a, it's an image I use a lot in the circle because the circle is like a pot. And, you know, when I used to watch these potters, and if you want to make a really big pot... You need a lot of skill. That that potter's wheel needs to be perfectly centered because if it's not perfectly centered, everything's just going to fly out. Um, So I think the same is true in our lives. Like if you think of our life as this vessel, and we want this vessel to be expansive, and we want this vessel to be generous and growing. But for that to be happening, we really need to be anchored in our center. We really need some kind of practice that again and again brings us back to ourselves when we lose our center. And we all do. You know, that's just life. So this over and over returning to our center and dropping more deeply into it. Um, that to me, that is the art of centering. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, when I learned Indian temple dance, Indian temple dance is very much in the belly, in the pelvis. 
and you spend your first year just learning to really drop down and be centered there. And so for me, it was a great foundation, like when I'm in the circle and all kinds of chaos is happening and people are erupting and having emotions, to be in the midst of that and stay in your center um, is a great training. Oh, wow, yeah. And, um, and I like what you said about that training to come from that center place of love. So... We'll have to wrap this up in a moment, but I wanted to give you a chance to just tell us a little about your work with the um, the Israeli and Palestine women. Yeah, you know, I, I love leading circles, and eventually I started leading circles in the Middle East and also working with women from India, Afghanistan, because I feel like we are building this global community, primarily a women's community of women who really see the need for love and peace. And so I love going over there and working with these women who are so committed to growth and to peace. And if there's one thing I love more than leading circles, it's teaching other women to lead their own circles. So this is something for years I've been doing in the United States and Canada. And, you know, if women are interested, they can go to my website. And I would really, if you are drawn to circles, learn to lead them. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm really excited because this year, for the very first time, I'm going to be working with the Palestinian women, not just leading a circle, but leading the circle work training so that they now can lead their own circles in their own communities, in their own language, which I think is very important. So I'm I'm very excited about this. Oh, yeah. And these are women that are coming together in circles that, I mean, they're their countries, their cultures are warring each other, and yet you are, they're coming together in peace and ecstasy in your circle, yeah. which is so exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of them are mothers. And mm. so right there, so they, Islam, they, know. They, all want, they all want a good, good life, good future for their children. They all Absolutely. want the same thing. Mm-hmm. So to learn more about this work and if you want to participate in her circles or learning how to lead circles, um, the short version, the, the, the easiest route you said was evolvingtowardpeace.com. Is that correct? Right, right. Evolvingtowardpeace.com. Yeah, they can also go to the, the organization. It's called the Institute for Circlework.org. That's another okay. resource. The Institute for Circlework.org. Okay, well, I, I just want you to know that if, if you didn't catch some of that and you want more, you can get the transcript at um, ecstatica.com slash show, E-X-T-A-T-I-C-A dot com slash show, S-H-O-W. So just my heart is full. Thank you so much, Dr. Jala Jabonheim, for being here. It's, this has been a wonderful hour. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ellen. It's been my pleasure. And thank you for listening to Ecstatica. This is Ellen Etoff in support of you having an erotic, ecstatic love life. We hope you've learned from and enjoyed the show today. Join us again for another stimulating hour of Ecstatica, the way to an erotic, ecstatic love life with your host, Ellen Etoff, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
This week, enjoy the best sex of your life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.